Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about writing and publishing and books and inspiration and other things that go along with writing, the writing life. And I'm once in a while have a repeat guest, and today is one of those days. And today, my guest is Mally Becker. Hi, Mally. Hi. It's welcome good to back. Talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, you're lovely to chat with. So it's always a pleasure. Um, I'm going to introduce you again, even though you've, I've already introduced you at some point on the show, but it doesn't matter because that's how podcasts work. You don't listen to them. You know, you listen to them whenever you do. Mally Becker combines her love of history and crime fiction and mysteries that feature strong, independent heroines, not heroin, heroines. <laughs> Just kidding. She, we were just, we were talking about illicit drugs before the show started. That's an inside joke for us only. <laughs> she is the Agatha Award nominated author of The Turncoat's Widow, which was an amazing book. Uh, Kirkus Reviews called that book a, com a compelling tale with charming main characters. Um, her first novel was also named a CIBA Mystery and Mayhem finalist, CIBA. What's CIBA? Uh, Chanticleer International Book Awards. Nice. Okay. A member of the board of MWA New York, Mally was an attorney until becoming a full-time writer and an instructor at the Writer's Circle workshops. She is also a member of Sisters in Crime and the Historical Novel Society. Mally and her husband live in New Jersey, where they raised their wonderful son and spend as much time as they can hiking and kayaking. My previous guest right before you is also from New Jersey, and I used to live in New Jersey. So it's a Jersey kind of month here she called it a very weird state to be from do you do you do you think that um i think it is it is a very strange state to be from in the best possible way exactly i, I believe that too because like people have a vision of new jersey i guess part of it is so close to new york it can see, sometimes people think it's industrial but it's called the garden state and it's beautiful there's there it's there's also lush places that are beautiful it's just a very weird combination of things and jersey tomatoes are like some of the most famous tomatoes mm -hmm. in the world so that's my take i only know things about food really so ah. <laughs> you got the jersey shore there's so much about new jersey that people don't always think of you know people people here say say exactly what they mean to your face whether whether you welcome that or not and it take it can take a while to get used to but um, it's it's refreshing and you never have to wonder what people really think here. That's true. That's true. It is nice to have reality in your face <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. Why did you park here? That's that was one of my favorite ones. What things what makes you think you can park here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. No, I haven't lived there in a long time, but I really like I really like New Jersey. I liked my time that I spent there. Um, so yeah, so today we are talking about your most recent book, which is called The Counterfeit Wife. Yes, yes, it it just came out uh, from Level Best Books in late September, so it's new. All right, tell us about that book. What's what is uh what's going on with The Counterfeit Wife? Well, um, my main characters Becca Parcell and Daniel Alloway uh, return and agree to take on another mission for. George Washington late in the American Revolution. And they travel to Philadelphia searching for the traders who are flooding the economy with uh, counterfeit money, with fake money. Mm. Uh, and, and because men and women at that time 
uh, were not permitted uh, to be alone without a chaperone if they were, weren't married to each other. Becca and Daniel uh, are disguised as a uh, married couple. So uh, there's murder, there is romantic tension, and there's some family drama as well in this one. There absolutely is. I enjoyed uh, reading it. Um, it's a good book. It's very well written. As we as we as we've learned, we know you know how to do. Um, your books are great. Yeah, it was, it was fun, and it was it was it's. I always think of them as like they're more like adventures. I mean, they're mysteries, but they're they're on an adventure all the time. They're like trying to solve a case, and they're always going from place to place and running into famous people. And um, it's it's really fun. They're fun reads too, oh, and you learn a little bit. You learn some stuff from them too. So. Well done, you. <laughs> so, Mally, first question. How did your writing career get started? Well, it actually got started in a park. Um, and I wasn't intending to write. I was intending to volunteer to clear trails at the Morristown National Historical Park, which is not too far from where I live. And uh, instead, they assigned me to the archives. And... I, I kind of uh, decided I couldn't back out just because I didn't love the assignment. Um, and then I ended up really loving it. And I found an, a criminal indictment. Well, indictments are criminal for criminal offenses for the crime during the American Revolution of traveling from here in New Jersey to New York City. And it, it offended me so much because I love traveling into New York City myself that I took this single page dated sometime in 1780 to the park historian and said, what the heck? And he, and he basically said, but much more politely than I do, sit down, honey, let me tell you about the real revolution. And he explained that so many people in New Jersey supported King George, and there was so much spying and smuggling into New York City, which the British controlled, that New Jersey made it a crime to go to New York to New York City from here. They wanted to cut down on, on all of that bad stuff. Um, and the historian told me that no more than 50% of the population during the revolution actually supported independence. And, um, and I took that away, but somehow it, it stayed with me and I didn't know I was playing the writer's game of what if um, you know, what if I lived in a time as divided as that? Um, but, you know, what, what must it have been like back then to, to live in that time that was as divided as now? And that turned into uh, the story about Becca, who it, it turns out was married to one of those British spies. Um, and her, her horrible husband is, is dead almost by page one. Um, and Daniel Alloway, who was the last person to see her husband alive. So as you said, it is an adventure. They, they are recruited by General Washington to find her husband's secrets in the Turncoat's Widow. And they do such a bang up job that uh, General Washington calls on them again. And that's the counterfeit wife. Yeah. So, well, so it all started in a park. That was where my, my writing career started. I like how I love um, accidental eventualities. I love how, you know, you didn't really want that assignment, the other assignment, and then you got that and then it turned into your two books that you wrote, you know, writing career. So you it never changed, know. It changed my life. I, I didn't know that the, 
the day I put that paperwork in to be a volunteer. I always call that the power of saying yes, because, you know, I say yes to a lot of things, but sometimes too many, sometimes too many, but um, we're not going to talk about that today. But uh, I do think, you know, leaving yourself open to things, even if you're not sure what it is, or if you're going to like it or the outcome, at least it's an experience. And sometimes you you never know where it's going to lead you. So it's really cool to have an open sort of mind when it comes to assignments and things like that, that you choose to do. You know, know? that is... um... That is so interesting to me. I I love that. And it's, there's a humility to it as well, because when you say yes to things, you, you don't know when you don't know where they'll lead, you're saying, I don't know everything. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe this will, I'll leave myself open to this being good because I, I can't really forecast it. Yeah. And sometimes um, you fail, but failure <laughs> is always um, a learning thing, a learning experience. And it, it just, it just toughens you up for the next thing or, shows you that, you know, maybe this isn't my thing today, or maybe I'll be better at this next mm-hmm. year. You know, you just, you have to, you can't, I feel like if you go in without security, you're going to learn way more about yourself too. It's because, you know, you can say yes to things, you know, for sure you'd be able to do. And that's not, you know, it's not going to be a huge challenge, but saying yes to something that's maybe not even your led to your liking. And it turns into something that you love. I mean, then, you know, opening yourself up for new things is always exciting. I think. Also, That's my TED, that is my you, TED talk for the day. Everyone can just jump on that. Well, also scary. I, the closer I got to finishing that first book, the more slowly I wrote because mm-hmm. you're leaving yourself open to someone saying, you know what, this is a terrible book. You can't write. What were you thinking? And um, so, so sometimes it, you have to be a little brave to do things you absolutely you haven't done before. Had, yeah, absolutely. I had the same thing happened when I wrote my first book, the last two Mm -hmm. chapters, I just didn't write them. And then, you know, I had been writing so fast and then, you know, every single day. And then my husband's like, when are you going to finish that book? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's almost, it's done. I said, I've got it written in my head. He's like, you need to finish the book. And I said, but what if it's not any good? And he's, so then he sat me down and my grandmother was an artist and uh, we have her paintings around my house. And we were looking at one of them and he goes, "Uh, do you think your grandma thought that painting was good enough? And I said, oh, no, she never thought any of her paintings were that good. And meanwhile, she's winning awards and she was a great artist and everyone loved her. And she had people buying her mm-hmm. uh, paintings to put in like model homes. And, you know, she was successful and talented, but she always thought they weren't good enough, <laughs> you know, and he knew that about her. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm doing grandma. And I can't do that. So we just had to, you just have to put it out there and be like, here's my, my painting. That's not that good, but here you want it. <laughs> and then people tell you it's good. You're like, oh, okay. But it is, you have that imposter thing happening as a creative, I think, you know, it's just tough because you're putting part of your heart out there, really. Yes. And yeah, you are. Yeah. You poured a lot of hours into something and a lot of days and months, even years, sometimes people have done. So, well, it turned I, out good for you. I think I'm going to have to put your husband on my speed dial though, for, for those uh, rough moments when I could use some support. <laughs> You feel free. He's, he's oh. available for pep talks. Um, Thank you so much. Thank on a regular him. basis. Yeah. He's like, just do it. It's fine. Just get it over with. <laughs> yeah, he's like, All right. Next official question, even though I've already asked you more than five, because um, <laughs> that's just how I roll. What is the most difficult part of the creative writing process for you? And what is the easiest? They are the same thing. Um, coming up with ideas because, um, because there's so much to write about and there's so many different things that can happen. And there are so many strange things in history you can, that I'd love to bring up. And 
And so that's the easiest part. But the problem is um, I'm a, mostly a pantser. I don't outline much and I end up with too many ideas in a story. And sometimes I think of it like uh, sculpting. You have to know what to chip away once you've got your first draft. Um, and that's the hardest part because some of those ideas have to, uh, you know, just get deleted. And, and sometimes if, if you're in love with that particular idea, it's hard to hit the delete button for uh, a paragraph or usually a, a whole scene or three. So easiest, well, easiest and hardest. Yeah, but, that is tough. Killing your darlings. But mm -hmm. I always cut and paste and put them in a random file somewhere so I don't lose the words because I, you know, I always assume that I'll come. I'm a hoarder. I'm a word hoarder. I'll just come back and use it later. So. I, I I can't believe you do. I do that too. I call it um, the orphan text file. It's I, scenes without a home. Yeah. So just come in there, create some random book, you know, down the road somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Scene, scenes from my novels that didn't make the cut. Um. Okay. Has anything you've written surprised you? In other words, you had no idea something was going to happen and it showed up on the page. Um, yes. And that is the most fun part of writing when that happens. Um, because it's as if the characters have come to life. And uh, of course, you know the difference between reality and illusion. But So um, in book one, we learned that uh, Becca's father died soon after her marriage to the horrible uh, Philip. And her mother died when she was very, very young. Um, so Becca and Daniel in book two are off to Philadelphia and to search for traitors, more traitors. And Becca discovers her mother there, who's very much alive. And uh, whether Becca can or should forgive her mother for leaving and never coming back is, is a parallel plot that, that hurdles along with uh, the mystery of the traitors. And, and of course there's a murder or two thrown in to the middle of the book. Um, but I didn't know Becca's mother was going to walk on to the stage and I didn't know she was still alive until I started uh, writing the book. So that that came as a surprise to me. Yeah, that is cool when that happens. It's very cool. Yeah, I was, I've told the story before, but when um, my first novel I had, I wanted my main character to have a, someone to talk to about her childhood. And um, I said, like, oh, well, give, I'll give her a half brother, you know, because they didn't really grow up together, but they have the same dad. So they have some commonality. But anyway, I wanted to turn because you don't walk around and talk about your childhood until like your friends usually no. unless they're asking specifically. You know, like, hey, remember when dad said that, you know. So I just wanted her to have like someone to ex expose some of that backstory. And then he turned into a main character and he actually down the road, a, a book with stories revolved all the way around him and wow. people loved him. And I would get people emailing, what's going on with Max? I think if he wasn't in one of the books, a lot. <laughs> he turned into like this thing. And I'm like, oh, he was just supposed to be like a plot device. But yeah, so it's fun. It's really fun when those kinds of things, but that's just your brain knows better than you do sometimes as a, you know, as a writer, you're like, we're going to put this guy in this book or this woman in this, but mm -hmm. I love that storyline that you chose for her parents. So it was really, um, struck some chords with me for sure. I really enjoyed her learning that and it just develops your character so much more, you know, gives her more dimension. Thanks. It was, yeah. uh, it, it was fun to discover her. 
Now I, sure. I have to figure out if, if, and where she fits into book three, which I've started writing. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, mommy issues are, are very popular <laughs> these days. Just give her a bunch of mom issues and just have them fight it out. That's, that would be entertaining for sure. Yeah. I like that. That's my advice as your editor, as one of your editors. Okay. I'm taking so it. next, next official question. Um, what do you hope readers will take away, uh, after reading your book? Well, first, first and foremost, I hope readers are entertained, um, mm -hmm. because that's, that's why we tell stories. Right. Um, but I also, <laughs> so to the, on the topic of mommy issues, I, I hope people also see that you know, here's a, here's a character who discovered something about her past that was totally unexpected and makes her think differently about her whole life. And I think we've all had those moments. And how do you, how do you come to terms with the big surprises in a way that lets you move forward and be happy? And um, so, so I hope, without hitting readers over the head with it, because this is a story, it's not an essay, um, that, that maybe it, it lets readers think about those own moments in their lives and, and how they might come to terms with them. And then finally, um, the thing that started me on this whole series and journey was discovering that this country was just as pig-headed and argumentative and divided at our founding as we are now. And um, at least in the 1700s, it turned out things got better. Um, so it was kind of comforting to me to see that the moment we're in now isn't completely unique. We've been here before. So I hope it's a little comforting to people who read the stories too. That is that is a nice message because um it does seem like a crap show, <laughs> which I'm sure it did back then too. Except that we have to hear about every single thing that everyone says all the time now. At least at least back then it was like, oh, I only talked to one person a day, so that's all the bad information I got, and then I can just go about and go stand in my field and not hear people talking. Yeah, about. you wouldn't you wouldn't get the mail for you know depending on where it was coming from between three days and a month. So somehow that must have kept things a little calmer. Right now, I pick up my phone and I see horrifying tweets that are just for some reason on my screen. Go, oh, no, what happened? You know, Leave it's like constant, constant bad news, you know, like, oh, no, really? <laughs> so he said what? Yeah. So um, it's uh, that part must have been nice. Not the constant flow of information into your brain all day long of bad stuff. But um, yeah, I, I love how you draw those parallels because so there's hope, right? Is that what you're there's saying? Hope. That's what I'm saying. There's okay. there's hope. We've been here before. Mally Becker says it's all going to be fine, so we're good. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna broadcast this live um, on NPR. Okay, the fifth question, and this one's always a little bit different. If you could invite a famous writer to dinner, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. I'll bring the wine. I'll bring the wine. I, I'm going to ask for a little <laughs> indulgence here because um, okay. speaking speaking of things being a crapshoot, I I want to have a party, so I'm going to pick more than one author knock yourself um, out mm -hmm. so i think we're going to be in a dark midtown bar not near times square maybe closer to eighth avenue mm -hmm. and um and we're going to invite uh truman capote and dorothy parker and william shakespeare and charlene harris 
and, and Charlene Harris and William Shakespeare can, can one up each other on crazy characters they've invented. And, and we can listen to Dorothy Parker and Truman Capote be really, really snarky about everybody else in the bar. And you and I are just gonna sit there with, with a, a glass of good whatever and laugh. So that sounds delightful. That's my famous author. Those are my famous love I love that. I love that. I've met one of them multiple times. So I know well, Charlene. I'm... I know Charlene pretty well. So <laughs> she she, I, she, and I have already had a drink together. So we, we could do that again. That'd be, but the other well, ones I have not met, obviously. I'm jealous. <laughs> I was guessing it was you, you had met the only living author on the list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you work that out for yourself? I haven't met Shakespeare. Um, I feel like I, in college, I felt like I knew him really well because I forced, I had to read um, every single thing he wrote. Um, so I was mm-hmm. an English major, but um, yes, yeah, so Charlene is lovely and she's a huge supporter of Malice and she comes, she just comes every year. It's fun. She's just always there. I'm um, not always, but she's there more, more years than not. So, but she's a very nice person and she cracks me up because she's like this sweet southern like kind of grandma looking like she's like oh she probably bring me some cookies you know like and then you read her books you're like oh my god <laughs> they're, they're so sexy and and bloody and fun and you're like she looks like she should be baking cookies not writing about these sexy vampires but um she that's her books exactly, really yeah her yeah. books are amazing yeah that's exactly what i thought the first time i saw her at malice yeah. a couple of years yeah. back yeah, she's wonderful. My um, I had I was in like a reading slump after I had my son, and my best friend brought me the first Suki book, and I'm like, I've I've known her for years, I've never read these books, and I tore through them when Russell was really old. so I don't know if that affected her his development or not, but I was reading about these sexy vampires when I was trying to get him to go to sleep, so um, probably probably made him weird. I don't know, that definitely made me weird, <laughs> as if as if I could get any weirder um cool so that's a great i cannot wait to go to that party that sounds so much fun i'm just gonna think about that when i fall asleep tonight you're invited yay i'll be there all right rapid fire quiz you ready okay okay number one okay good number one summer or winter summer okay you're allowed number two sweet or savory oh sweet especially near halloween just makes me think of chocolate yeah Yep. I definitely, um, I tried to not to buy Halloween candles till like the 30th because it'll be gone. And I thought, ah, we're adults, you know, we get it. And Russell doesn't, our son does not eat chocolate or candy. Um, so it's really, it's us tearing through it. So I'm like, no, I'm not buying it until the day before. Um, and then we'll eat it then. Like it makes a difference. I don't know. All right. Comedy or drama? Comedy. Yeah. Um, Mel Brooks, if if I could just watch, and and they couldn't be produced now. They're so yeah. inappropriate in so <laughs> many ways, um, and I love every single one. Um, I will not will not start singing the theme song from High Anxiety. Um, <laughs> not not until we're at that dark bar with with Billy Shakespeare, but um, yeah. Comedy. uh young frankenstein is uh, a, tr- a tradition our family is to watch it together during the holidays during this month um so it's just always on a because li- now we don't live my sister moved away but um we still watch it and text each other and it's on a loop during this i just love that movie i love them all yeah. my anxiety was my favorite when i was growing up too my, but, my um, brother 
texted me clips from Blazing Saddles and the producers this morning. Oh, so, <laughs> out of the blue. Our favorite thing was uh, our mom asked us too many times to bring her something, bring it downstairs. We like, here's your paper. Here's your paper. Remember in the shower scene, he's, they're doing the psycho and the belt, he, like he keeps asking, he's like, I need that newspaper. Can you bring me the newspaper? And then he's fine. I'll bring you the paper. And then he like brings, he starts stabbing him with it. Here's your newspaper. Best scene ever, ever. I just can't, can't even, I'm gonna have to watch that again really soon because it makes me laugh so hard. Well, we do Cloris Leachman in High Anxiety. If if you misbehave, no fruit cocktail for dessert. Punishment. Yes, she was great. Here's a fun fact. Um, my grandmother in 1946 was Miss Louisville, Kentucky. And Cloris Leachman the same year was Miss Chicago, Illinois. So they were in the Miss America pageant together. And they were friendly. Um, so it was my, my grandmother passed away 20 years ago, but of course Leachman only passed away a few years ago within the last couple of years. And I always like looked at her because, you know, she was on, she was on still doing work. She was still working. She was on sitcoms and different things. She was on uh, raising Amy. I think the name of the show was or raise anyway, she was still working um, really far, really late. And I, so I'd watch her and think it reminded me of my grandmother. Like I felt like, Oh, that's my grandmother would probably look, you know, look like her and, you know, they look similar. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was our, her famous connection. She had a, she was in pad, they were in pageant together, That's which neat. is great. They did not win, but it was fixed because they were the prettiest ones. So <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother was definitely the prettiest one there. I'm sorry. I've seen the pictures. Okay. Um, anyway, not that that matters, but she did get a scholarship. The reason she did it because she got a scholarship to college. So she placed yeah. high enough that she got a scholarship. So that was, that was the goal. So it doesn't matter. Who wins. doesn't matter who wins it's what you do with it after that all right so we've established we are the coolest because we love mel brooks all right next question early bird or night owl early bird yeah i, I wish i was a night owl but um i i just wake up early and that's when i'm most productive yeah same me too i like mm -hmm. to just start drinking wine <laughs> in the evening <laughs> i don't want to think about things or do stuff or whatever um so yeah i start off pretty good and i like i said it's like a cell phone battery towards the end of the day Same. don't ask me to do something at four o'clock my friend you know we have we're baseball moms so we you know we've got practices and things and people are like do you want to go out to dinner at eight o'clock i'm like what is this a rave no i used to not leave my house till nine or ten o'clock when i lived in new york to go out but i'm like oh god that is so late what are you talking about dinner at six and then we can go home and get, still be alive uh. Uh. I, I'm I'm with you. I have nothing. I have nothing to add because that's my life. That's not up for raves at this point, except for that bar thing. We're going to do that. That's going to be late because those people stayed up late. Um, maybe not Charlene. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, coffee. Coffee. You're still drinking coffee at this hour at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I I drink coffee. At, I shut myself off uh, at three p.m. from coffee. Okay. I got to do noon or I'm up all night. Yeah. No, noon is kind of put, yeah, noon's kind of pushing it these days. So, yeah, well, we discovered um, my husband makes me cappuccino every morning and um, we bought a replacement cappuccino maker and it made so much left less. We didn't understand. We thought it was broken. And then we we he he studied, he looked at YouTube and he finally realized that the cappuccino he'd been making me is four um, is espresso times four. But now I'm used to it. <laughs> and you're still here to talk about it. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not speeding. 
or maybe no, I, you, I don't know. You seem very relaxed and that's weird. The amount of caffeine you've had today. What does and that mean? <laughs> it means without well, it, I'd probably be asleep at two in the afternoon. I was going to say, well, m- most of my, you know, until you get that right rhythm, it's like, how late can I drink coffee and how early can I start drinking wine? Like there's that weird space in between. There's the two things. I mean, you know, some, some people call that the afternoon. late afternoon is when I started okay well we've established we're all we're just very cool that's all that matters so what is going on with you now you're out promoting a new book are you writing the next book what's happening I'm I'm writing the next book which is tentatively uh, titled The Paris Mistress so four guesses where it takes place no it it takes place in Paris and um Becca and Daniel are back, and so is Benjamin Franklin, who was our ambassador to France um, during the war and at and at the tail end of the war. Wow, so that's cool. That's where we'll be. And I found some um, things I didn't know about Benjamin Franklin um, tucked away in the National Archives. So this book will also feature adventure and some some history that surprised me yeah well that's the cool that's the very unique combination that you write because you learn something and it's always interesting it's never like you're teaching us it's fun to learn something through fiction Mm -hmm. um because a lot of the stuff you you know you write about is has happened you know but you're just kind of making it entertaining for us because it's wrapped in a really cool story and then you always have the romance piece and i've you're um the counterfeit wife actually brought me to tears at the end. So, and I don't say that about a lot of books that I, cause you know, I read at least a book or two a week, you know, for work. And I was like, yay. And I like, I like little tears, you know, when came out at the end of your book. So I'm very pleased that they're going to be moving on to a new adventure and a new, they were just like, we need to get rid of this, this whole New Jersey, New York thing. Ugh, let's go to Paris. That's it. <laughs> they, I won't, I won't tell you the end of book two, but. They are all no, don't tell anybody. It's a surprise. But that was the nicest thing anybody said to me about book two that it made them cry. So thank you so much. Yeah, I had tears. Little 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 literal ones. Wow, I just lost the word literal. <laughs> I found it. It was gone <laughs> for a second and came back. Um, because I try not to say literally anymore because that's a very mm-hmm. 80s. I grew up in the 80s and that's what we used to say. Um, but no, yes, they were actual tears, and it was um uh, from a really great place, and I was so happy to be able to read that. So yes, everyone needs to get both books, learn something, have a great adventure, enjoy the character. The characters are very well constructed as well. And that's, I think what keeps people coming back and you've gotten a lot of, you know, you've gotten awards and people are obviously responding to the books. That's very exciting because they're not your mainstream sort of novels. I mean, they're very unique. They're different. And they're, that's, I think it's great when people respond to something that's not cookie cutter, you know? Yeah. And and the Turncoats Widow will be out in as an audio book this later this fall. So that's that's exciting too. I never thought very that exciting. Way. Yeah, very exciting. Well, things are just going great. Knock on wood. Yes, can't <laughs> can't complain. There and would yeah right. Let's not. <laughs> All right. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. And oh, where can we find you online? Do you have a? Are you? Where can people follow you? Find you. Uh, people can find me at MallyBecker.com, uh, Mally Becker, all one word. Um, I'm on Facebook too as Mally Becker author or Mally Baumel Becker. Um, 
And if you're in New Jersey and want to stop by the Hoboken Library Festival this Saturday, September 15th, I'll, I'll be there too. Thanks. October? Oh, yes. What month are we in? October. October 15th. We're in this month. I don't know what month it is. <laughs> don't ask me. Yeah. The only thing I know is Halloween's coming up. That's the only thing I can remember. So I don't, I've lost like the, you know, the pandemic plus then this whole year for me, I've been like, what day is it today? What? I woke up this morning like, oh my God, it's Wednesday. We're recording. No, keeping it together. We're all keeping it together. We're doing the best we can. Yes. Well, that's exciting. I'm so glad that you have, um, that's a really cool event. The Hoboken Library Festival, huh? That's pretty neat. Yeah. And they want me to talk. So when, when I'm done here, uh, going to finish up the that that for them okay well remember to tell them the story about how your editor knows charlene harris just tell them all, that's all you need to talk about probably and then you'll be good you don't have to talk about so i'm just kidding <laughs> you're gonna talk about your books <laughs> sometimes my jokes go what what are people saying nothing <laughs> they're all well, good I, yes i so appreciate you coming back on the show spending time with me today um we just love you and we're very proud of you and your books are amazing so oh. keep it up Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. Bye.